and thank you for tuning in to the Herbert Smith Freehills podcast on the future of consumer Asia-Pacific predictions. My name is Adelaide Luke and I'm a partner in Herbert Smith Freehills competition and antitrust team. I'm based in Hong Kong and look after the Asia region. I've got Patrick Gay here with me today. Hi Patrick and thanks for joining me. Hi Adelaide and th hello to our listeners. It's good to be here. I'm a partner at the HSF competition regulation trade team here in Sydney. Thanks Patrick. Uh, and today we'll be speaking about some of the more common antitrust pitfalls that suppliers and distributors need to watch out for. We hope you find these podcasts interesting. If you've got any feedback on content or if you've got any questions arising from our discussion today, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Patrick, let's kick off. Could you give our listeners a quick overview of the Australian competition law regime? Sure, Adelaide. In Australia, the Competition and Consumer Act is the main piece of legislation which we need to consider. It sets out two broad categories of conduct, the first being conduct which is strictly illegal, which would include cartel conduct, and conduct which will only contravene the Act if it has the purpose, effect, or likely effect of substantially lessening competition. Okay, with these two categories in mind, the Act contains provisions addressing more specific types of vertical anti-competitive conduct, and I think that will be quite relevant to our listeners who are engaged in supply and distribution. Could you dissect some of these provisions for us? Sure, Adelaide. Let's begin with RPM, which refers to resale price maintenance. The most common form of RPM involves a manufacturer or supplier setting a minimum price at which the at which a distributor must on-sell products to consumers or to some other third party. However, people need to keep in mind that the prohibition is in fact much broader than this and includes inducing a distributor not to sell below a specified price or withholding supply for the reason that the party has sold at below a specified price or has not agreed not to do so. And importantly, and this is a uh, something which people need to watch out for, withholding supply is deemed to include situations where you supply at disadvantageous terms. RPM is one of these things uh, which is strictly prohibited on, by Australian law. However, in limited circumstances where parties can show that the public benefits associated with the conduct outweigh any anti-competitive detriment, you can notify the conduct to the ACCC and where that notification stands and is in place and not challenged by the ACCC, you will receive uh, immunity from the RPM provisions of the Act. Thanks, Patrick. A, a couple of points that come out of that to highlight. First is that RPM isn't the same thing as having a recommended retail price. RRPs are really common and in most cases don't raise any competition law concerns. RPM, what we're discussing now, refers to the practice of setting that minimum price below which a distributor cannot go. And the second point to flag is that it is okay to set a maximum price over which distributors can resell goods. So to put it another way, maximum and recommended resale prices are usually acceptable, but minimum resale prices are usually not. Thanks, Adelaide. That's certainly the position in Australia. Is it the same in Asia? Look, it's similar. Uh, like Australia, most Asian regimes like China, Hong Kong, Japan and Korea treat RPM as a serious competition law infringement. To take China as an example, RPM has always been and still is a focus of enforcement. 
The consumer sector generally is one of the top sectors targeted by the authorities in China, with 16% of all cases um, being consumer cases. And they cover liquor, dairy, eyewear, home appliances and healthcare. Most consumer companies investigated were done so for RPM. The regional competition authorities in China are, are still active in investigating these types of companies. For example, one of the provincial bureaus imposed a fine of 13 million USD against Toyota for RPM in 2019. At a central level, SAMA has issued fines of over 150 million USD uh, for RPM infringements in 2021, both on consumer companies and also in the pharma sector. That's interesting, Adelaide. Similarities aside, are there any Asian jurisdictions that take a different approach? Yes, look, Singapore is a key exception. Um, in Singapore, vertical agreements, so that is agreements between operators at different levels of the supply chain, benefit from a broad exemption from the general prohibition against anti-competitive agreements. It's really important to flag, though, that this exemption doesn't disapply the prohibition against abuses of dominance. So if one of the parties holds a dominant position in the relevant market, we need to consider whether the RPM restriction breaches that prohibition. Thanks, Adelaide. Singapore is obviously an interesting exception to the general rule and one to watch out for if you're seeking to design a regional distribution network. Yes, that's right. I mean, still, we often see clients trying to adopt a model that is generally consistent across the region rather than applying different standards. And that's often because they're concerned that the conduct of employees in the more relaxed jurisdiction might spill over into the stricter jurisdiction. But look, there will be circumstances where the financials mean that that type of risk is justified and it's then mitigated by additional compliance measures. Patrick, that's what we wanted to cover in relation to RPM. Shall we turn to exclusivity, which is another feature of lots and lots of distribution agreements? I understand that in Australia, unlike RPM, exclusivity or exclusive dealing, and, and they're not prohibited per se, but are only prohibited if they have the purpose or effect of substantially lessening competition. Uh, that's correct, Adelaide. Exclusive dealing includes, at a high level, supplying or acquiring goods subject to a particular condition. The most common situation is where a supplier supplies goods to a particular distributor on condition that they don't also acquire goods from a competitor of that distributor, therefore being exclusive to that particular supplier. Uh, exclusive dealing is quite common. The overarching point to keep in mind here is that exclusive dealing is only prohibited, as you said, where it has the purpose or effect of substantially lessening competition. While rarely utilized, we also note that in Australia, you can notify your exclusive dealing conduct to the ACCC. Where that notification is in place and not being challenged by the ACCC, you receive effective immunity from the exclusive dealing provisions of the Act. As I said, that's there and it's an option, but is rarely in fact used. Another thing to point out about exclusive dealing is that sometimes parties will acquire goods and services from a competitor. There are specific provisions in the Act in Australia, which means that where conduct is exclusive dealing conduct, it won't also be considered to be cartel conduct. And so when you're dealing with a competitor in a vertical arrangement, you need to closely consider the terms of these exclusive dealing provisions and the relevant anti-overlap provision. And one potential trap to watch out for is that as an acquirer, 
you can impose a greater set of terms and conditions on a supplier than a supplier can impose on an acquiring party. So there's a bit of an imbalance between what constitutes exclusive dealing for a supplier and what constitutes exclusive dealing for an acquirer. Mm, that's interesting. Um, going back to one of your earlier points, we've mentioned the phrase purpose or effect of substantially lessening competition quite a few times. Could you shed a bit more light on this concept for us? Sure, Adelaide. I appreciate that the concept is a little bit amorphous, but in essence, what the court considers is whether or not the conduct will have a material adverse effect on the competitive process. It does that by comparing two worlds, the world with the conduct, with the exclusive dealing, and the world without. And perhaps an easy example where exclusive dealing might result in a substantial lessening of competition is where a series of exclusive arrangements uh, might restrict the ability of a new entrant to actually access an efficient distribution network. Thanks, Patrick. In Asia, exclusivity is largely addressed under the rules against abuses of dominance or substantial market power. And absent this market power, exclusivity doesn't usually raise competition concerns. If there is substantial market power coupled with exclusivity, then we need to consider quite carefully whether there are any justifications for the exclusivity. And in this regard, the duration is, is quite important, as is the overall context of the arrangement. That's right, Adelaide. I should say the situation is not so different in Australia. The relevant regulator, the ACCC, will generally consider that exclusive dealing provisions are much more likely uh, to cause competitive harm in circumstances where they're imposed by a party which is dominant, or to use the Australian terminology, a party that has market power. The ACCC also often brings cases on the basis of two provisions, either an abuse of market power or exclusive dealing. So the two things uh, do work together qu quite commonly. Uh, I should say that just in terms of when we're thinking about an entity with a, a dominant position or having market power, it's worth noting that rebates in particular granted by a dominant market power can throw up some tricky competition law issues because they may have foreclosure effects. This is especially the case where rebates are retroactive in nature, meaning that a customer will only be awarded a rebate if it meets a certain sales target, and especially where those rebates are then cumulative going back to the first sale, what we call a, a back-to-base rebates. So if you're an entity with market power or may have market power, you need to carefully consider any rebate structures which are part of your distribution arrangements. It's a good point, Patrick. Thanks for flagging that. Um, the, the final point for me is that if you're looking up, looking at setting up a regional distribution system, it does help to understand your market position. Um, as Patrick's flagged, that can determine what is and what is not permissible and where you might need to consider arrangements in a bit more detail. Dominance and market power is probably its own podcast. Um, but market shares are always a good starting point for thinking about these types of issues. Just bear in mind that in competition law, markets can be drawn quite narrowly. Another aspect of distribution agreements that we haven't had time to consider in detail today are various types of territorial and customer restraints that are quite common, but which can also carry antitrust risks. 
And these include, for example, restrictions on your distributors to sell into a specific territory or to sell only to a certain customer group. And that can take the form of a prohibition on cross-supplying to other distributors. The analysis on these types of restrictions, again, can vary by jurisdiction, um, and often they're quite fact-specific. So perhaps, Patrick, that's a, a topic for the next podcast. So that's all we have time for today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and thanks, Patrick, for joining me. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do check out the other instalments of Future of Consumer, Asia-Pacific Predictions. And if you've got any thoughts, comments or questions, please get in touch. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.